good evening. It is the Niall Boylan podcast. And tonight I have a very interesting guest. I'm going to speak to Walt Heyer. Now, Walt has written nine books. Uh, one of the most famous ones is Trans Life Survivors. And he talks about his life and the fact that he was transgender, wanted to be a woman, very happily married at the age of 42, wanted to be a woman, and then decided in some time in the future that this is not for me. But he's also decided as well that being transgender is not something that you're born with, but more or less a life experience and something that can be dealt with. And he joins me on the line. Good afternoon to you, Walt. Yeah, thanks for having me on today. And by the way, you're looking wonderful because I can see you. People on the radio can't, but I can see you. You're looking wonderful for your age. You're 80s now. How does it feel to be in the prime of your life? Yeah, oh, it's exciting. I was out cutting the grass and doing some yard work, and uh, so I just keep on going. Okay. Walt, take us back to the very start when you were a young boy. What yeah. did I mean, what do you think brought on this traumatic experience in your life that changed your whole outlook and the way you viewed life? What do you think started all that? Well, it started by putting on a purple chiffon dress when I was four years old at my grandma's house, and then she telling me how cute I looked in that dress. And, of course, a four-year-old has no clue what's going to happen down the road. I mean, the idea of consequences or anything don't don't come into play. You're just you're just there doing your thing, thinking it's all um, you know harmless. And so I was kind of just enjoying dressing up as a, a girl in a purple chiffon dress at four years old, not realizing that doing that has consequences, and they are psychological consequences, emotional consequences, and sometimes uh, end up becoming uh, sexual consequences as well. Is that what, nowadays we hear a lot of people talk about gender stereotypes, and we hear a lot of people, particularly the trans community, saying we shouldn't try to put people into boxes. In other words, little boys shouldn't have to play with action men, little girls shouldn't have to play with little pink dollies, and that we should encourage little boys to play with the little pink dollies and encourage little girls to play with the action men and the toy soldiers. Do you feel that doing that trains a child to feel like they're the wrong gender? Or is that is that simplifying it? No, that's way too simple. I, I do think it's we should be okay with boys playing with girls things and girls playing with boys things. I think what isn't okay is to decide that they need to change genders because they're playing with opposite gender, typical opposite gender toys. I mean, the fact of the matter is there's nothing wrong with being an effeminate boy or a masculine woman. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. And we shouldn't be introducing hormones to them or engaging in surgery to try to change who they are. They're perfectly fine as effeminate boys and, and masculine women. Okay, because years ago we would have just referred as a woman who was masculine as being a tomboy. And if a That's boy right. was a bit effeminate, he was a bit camp. And that was just the words that we used. I mean, okay, so moving on in your life anyway. Did you get through your teens okay and your, into your 20s okay? And were you dating women? and Or were you? did you find yourself attracted to men or... What was your life like then? Yeah, good question. You know, um, in my life, uh, I, I struggled a lot with thinking that I should have been born a female uh, from the time I was four years old. And I would sometimes lay in bed um, awake at night going, gee, you know, maybe I was born wrong and you have all these thoughts. And so by the time I was in my early teens, I secretly adopted the name Crystal West and started secretly identifying as as a girl without really telling anybody because in those days people didn't sort of come out and talk about it. But the truth is um, I was never had any homosexual feelings. I didn't have, uh, you know, same sex attraction at all. I was just a heterosexual guy who um, was struck by 
the idea that I should have been a female. Uh, that didn't mean that I wanted to have um, relations with a with a man. So, uh, and I never did. And so, uh, you know, in my teen years, I had girlfriends. I had um, uh, what we'd call in the 50s uh, a hot rod car. I had a 34 Ford with a Corvette motor. I mean, I was a guy's guy. Uh, but I was struggling with what had happened to me because if we go back and talk about that purple dress, because I was wearing that purple dress as a young boy, my uncle Fred decided that I was fair game to sexually molest. And so he began to molest me when I was like eight or nine years old, thinking, oh my. That, you know, that because I was wearing a dress that I was peculiar or I was gay or I was whatever he thought, I don't know. And so uh, he started sexually molesting me. So I think what uh, what happens here is that w when we need to understand, I think it's important to talk about right now, is that when you put a young boy, four years old, in a dress, you're, you're doing what, what I call psychological and emotional child abuse because you're, you're suggesting to him that there's something wrong with him as a boy. And that's the message you get. When you start affirming a young boy who's wearing a dress and saying how cute you look and da da da, you know what you're 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 telling that boy that you would be much better off as a girl and not as a boy. So you're, and what you're happens? But what happens if that little boy comes to you at the age of say seven and says, you know, Dad, Mom, I want to be a girl. I feel like a girl. I'd like to wear a dress. So you're not, you know, you're not the one forcing it on him. He's the one who wants to do it. Do you support them? Do you encourage them? Or do you put them off the idea and say, oh, don't be silly, you're a little boy. Now just play with your action man and go away. I mean, what do you do in that situation? Well, I, I think, you know, in the old, years ago, kids did this all the time. And, and what we called that was being curious. There was a curiosity. And today, the problem is that we look at them and go, oh, well, you're transgender or you have gender dysphoria. Well, that is absolute BS. And we need to start calling it what it is. Kids cannot transition as a boy to a girl. It doesn't happen. You can't biologically do it. You can't do it hormonally. You can't do it surgically. It's categorically impossible to change a boy into a girl or a girl into a boy. And, so, and you might be saying that from a biological sense, but what about the people who say, well, let's separate sex and gender? Uh, and they well, say, even though the two are intrinsically linked as far as I'm concerned, but they'd like to separate them completely. Well, sure, they'd like to separate them so they can tell you a lie. Because the fact of the matter is when the sperm hits the egg, that is the end of the game. The gender sex is fixed at conception. It's innate and unchangeable. The rest of the stuff is just uh, fodder for um, people who have this idea that you can change people's genders, you can separate sex from gender. It's all baloney. Okay, but, uh, but, but let's move on to your life and get back to your life again. So you, you didn't find yourself attracted to men, but you were curious. What, were you cross-dressing at that stage? Did you feel like oh, you yeah. wanted to cross-dress? Oh, I cross-dressed uh, throughout my life. Uh, all the, Even after I got married, uh, when I got married at the age of 21, and when I had two children and um, for 17 years married to a woman. and Did she and know? By the a, way, did she know you were cross-dressing? Well, I, I told her before we got married about this. And she said, we'll just work through it. So, um, you know, this was all a part of, of just going through life. And, and I didn't have all these ideas that um, I was going to, like, completely change genders. But, uh, but I started 
having the, the stronger feelings when I got close to my 40s, like many men do, actually. And if you've been cross-dressing all your life and you think, well, you need to go to a therapist. Well, the therapist that I went to in San Francisco actually was the guy who wrote the WPATH standards of, pair that, of care that are now used around the world. His name was Dr. Paul Walker, and he was my therapist. And he told me that I needed hormone therapy and I needed to go through reassignment surgery to resolve the childhood issues of cross-dressing and being sexually abused, and that was... So you believe he, he basically encouraged you to be a woman rather than speaking to you or so doing some talk therapy with you? Well, he, he didn't... He, you know, what he did was he diagnosed me with gender dysphoria mm -hmm. and told me that the solution to what my problems had been all my life up to the time I was 38 years old was going to be cured and resolved with hormone therapy and surgery. In those days, so, it was just called sex change. That's the, the wording they use. Nowadays, it's a, it's a gender reassignment. But in those days, we used the word sex change. And, or and, gender confirmation surgery or whatever. You okay, so you decided to get divorced because you didn't want to bring your wife through all that. How did she take it at the time when you decided that, look, I want to divorce you. I'm going to be a woman. How did she, how did she take that at the time? Well, it was devastating. Uh, you know, it... it, it absolutely devastated her devastated uh, the family and and you know i thought i was following the right protocols uh, because there wasn't any walt hire out there at the time speaking up and saying danger danger the bridge is out don't do this and so that's why i speak up and talk around the world about this and write books so uh, you know i went through the procedure i had the surgery i had the hormones i followed exactly what they say to do uh, I was divorced and, and went through this. I lived eight years as Laura Jensen female. I and what would you just, that, in that eight years, did, were you happy at all at any point? I mean, even in the first or second year, after, I suppose, the wounds had healed, after the pain had gone from the gender reassignment, after the puber, or the, the, uh, the, the uh, hormones that you were taking had kicked in and you're, you're, you had breasts then at that stage, I assume, I mean, yeah. did you feel happier? Did you feel somehow satisfied? Or did that satisfy any part of what you wanted for the last 42 years? Well, I think there was a period of time where you think you did the right thing and, you know, that it's all going to work. But I think you know, it's hard to explain to people that when you come into this new life, you, you don't know what to expect. I mean, because you've never been there before. And for a guy to say that he knows what a girl feels like uh, is a little bit of nonsense in my view. Um, you know, you, you're trying to live out this life, and I was successful, and and I I did very well. I had a nice income, I had a job, I wasn't uh, living off the streets or anything. But I started studying psychology at UC Santa Cruz in California, and I started looking at the books in the library and realized that people who have these ideas about changing genders had uh, Disorders such as autogynephilia or transvestic fetish disorder or bipolar disorder or body dysmorphia or, or some other disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, depression and anxiety. And I thought, well, that's kind of curious. They've been studying this for years, but nobody's actually talking about the fact that people come and bring these issues into this whole idea of, of surgery and hormones. But no one talks about the fact that if we addressed what they call comorbid disorders. They're the underlying disorders that are causing people to feel like they should change genders or they feel like they're born in the wrong body. 
these are things called body dysmorphia. Uh, schizophrenia is one of them. About 20% of the people have schizophrenia. But, but, but what do you say to people around the world and trans, the, the people in the trans community who would be listening to you horrified? And they would be saying, he's suggesting there's something actually wrong with us, that we have a disorder of some description. Uh, it's not even in the manual anymore. That, that That's old school thinking that, for example, even gay people very many years ago were considered to be crazy or something wrong with them. And now we accept that people are gay in society. That that what you're thinking, just because you had a bad experience, um, is wrong that you're projecting that onto the whole transgender community. I'm not projecting anything. The standards of care for WPAS standards of care actually tells people that the therapist needs to look at these disorders and make sure that they don't have them before they engage in giving them hormone therapy and other therapies. So it's not me saying mm -hmm. this. These are factual data uh, that's out there and have been out there for years. And it's the reason, I might add, that right now we have 18, uh, 18 times more likely for the people to commit suicide, according to a Swedish study, after they go through the surgery. And it's the same kind of results they found uh, in the UK when they did a, a huge study there and said that the headline of the study in the Guardian UK in July 2004 said sex chain surgeries are not effective in helping people. I didn't write that headline. They wrote it. I, I think that was a Professor McHugh, was it? Or McHugh a, a, no, in America. No. Did, did, did he not there say that sex no. change is not a cure for gender dysphoria? No, that wasn't McHugh. Uh, it was done at the University of Birmingham in UK and it was published in the Guardian in UK. It had nothing to do with McHugh. But, but what we're saying is, it's the same, it's kind of similar thing, that gender reassignment is not a cure for gender dysphoria. You believe it's not a cure. I think it can be a temporary reprieve, but it, it doesn't resolve it over a lifetime. Okay, so for eight years, uh, you lived your life as a woman. Um, and obviously have great regrets in relation to that, and because obviously the physical regrets to, of it as well, you decided then to retransition as a man again. That yeah. must have been a big step to take because you obviously went through a lot of pain because I'm sure the surgery is quite painful and takes a long time to recover from. And now you're facing down a road where you have to go through some of that again, probably not exactly the same, but certainly some of it again. Was the, Were you hesitant to do that, to want to do that? And also, by the way, you've also got the fact that you had told so many people this is what you wanted, you'd done it, and now you kind of have to go back to people and say, well, I think I made a mistake, and say you were wrong. Did that part of it come into it as well? Well, you know, I, it didn't really bother me. Um, you know, when you go through these things and you realize that you've been um, lied to, and you've been duped and you've been tricked by people telling you that you need uh, the professionals telling you that you need to take hormones and and have body surgery and you realize that it's not true that that they lied um so it was it's pretty easy to understand that once you realize that the this whole idea about transitioning no one ever has transitioned in the history of time in my view because biologically they're still the same and what I realized was I was still a man, even though I was identifying. I mean, we can all identify as a woman. That doesn't make you. Well, you can identify as anything you want to identify as if you, if you really right. want to. I mean, did you ever, by the way, when you were a woman, did you ever look in the mirror, stand there naked, look in the mirror and say, I feel like a woman? It's a bit no. cliche, I know, but did you ever feel like that? I, you know, I, I felt like a woman uh, at times, but I always uh, realized that the idea what it came to me at one time to to say that a woman is nothing more than a man 
with hormones in them and altered genitalia is a bit foolish. And it's probably insulting to women as well at the best of times. Exactly. That's right. exactly okay, so, it's an insult to women. Okay, so the transition back to being a man again and back to being Walt, I mean, what was that transition like? Was that easier than the initial transition to being a woman? I think it was much more fulfilling because at that point I had resolved everything that had been going on in my life. I'm now like 50 years old. Everything that had been troubling me from the time I put on that purple dress till the time I was 50 was now cleaned up, done and finished. And I think that's why I look good at 80 years old today. I don't carry the baggage around anymore. I, I came clean. I admitted that, you know, I had made a mistake. I, I, I actually talked to the surgeon and to the therapist who agreed that I should have hormones and surgery. And they even published an article for the court in California, the Superior Court in California. And they admitted that surgery and hormones can't change a man into a woman. And with that information, I realized that they never changed me. So changing back really wasn't a big deal. I, I just needed some some more work to be done. So uh, I never really, you, you realize when they said you didn't change into a man or woman uh, because surgery can't do that, then you realize you're pretty pretty good ground. That, uh, and, in the, and, in the last, and in the last 30 years, uh, have you ever felt that maybe you made a mistake going back to being a man again? Oh, have you absolutely. ever had any doubts in the last 30 years? No, never, not one single doubt. You know, the beauty of having gone back is that I work with people every single day um, and help people detransition. And uh, I've been doing it for a long time. And the people that come to me and ask for help and they, who want to detransition um, are thrilled with having someone because no one else will work with them, really. There's very few people that uh, have... What, do you reckon the transgender community turn their backs on people who... Oh, they do, absolutely. I mean, they write horrible things about me saying I'm not this and that. I don't give a rip because the people who need help from me to detransition love me, and that's really all that counts. And what are the statistics in relation to people who detransition or who change their mind, essentially? What are the statistics? Well, I, I think in the United States, because of our HEPA laws here, we have no way of knowing the actual statistics because they keep them secret. The only place where they've had uh, good statistics have come out of Sweden, and the only thing that they will disclose is that they're, they have found that they're 19 times more likely to commit suicide as a result of going through the procedure because they have uh, unresolved issues. But would they, would they have been likely, those 19 times that you talk about, would they have been likely to take their own lives um, if they hadn't have transitioned and lived a life as a man when they wanted to be a woman? I mean, it, it would be easy to say that the that, you know, the, I suppose the, the gender reassignment is what caused them to do that or to take their own lives, when realistically they probably would have lived a reasonably sad life anyway, wanting to be a woman. Well, I, you know, one of the things that I found is that the people who, who I've worked with that want to transition and contact me before they transition, and we talk about things that have gone on in their life and they have good, sound, effective psychotherapy, they're able to uncover and unravel the issues that caused them to want to be someone else. And once those issues are dealt with, whether it's body dysmorphia or whether it's autogynephilia is one of the huge ones and transvestic fetish disorder and these other disorders, when they deal with those and resolve them, they're perfectly happy to not transition. I've had a lot of those cases 
So I, you don't have to go through this. Uh, you can deal with what we call the comorbid disorders and resolve them before you take hormones and have surgery if you wish. The world is a very different place now to when you were a child. And I suppose when you were a child, transgender was quite an uncommon word. And it wouldn't have been spoken about very much. There was almost a shame attached to a man dressing as a woman, unless, of course, he was a drag artist. But nowadays, it's very accepting. And we also have this idea that, and I only spoke to somebody recently on the radio who was transgender, and it was almost like they demanded that I accept they were a woman. Now, don't get me wrong. I respect the fact that they wanted to be a woman. I respect the fact they are a woman. I'm quite happy to call her her or she or whatever they want to be called. But in saying that, they, they were almost demanded that I believe it, which I personally don't. And they demanded that I believe it no more than I would say, well, listen, I don't believe in God. Um, I respect people who are religious and I respect their God, but I wouldn't expect them to, to demand I believe in God. So is there some sort of demand out there that we either accept this or there's something very wrong with us? Well, yeah, there is a great demand that you accept that the people can transition and that they are who they are. Look, we've elected uh, people to our government who identify as females and um, in real high places. So uh, they do demand it. Um, I personally, uh, when I come across this, I say, once you bring me the proof that you've changed uh, by bio biological proof that you've changed, I'll be happy to address you as a female. Okay, but in Ireland, actually, by the way, in Europe, we're the first country in Europe um, to bring in legislation for self-identification, which means you don't have to go to a psychiatrist or psychologist or whatever it happens to be uh, to get gender reassignment. You can self-identify. They want to reduce the age of that at the moment. Currently, it's 18 years of age, but they want to reduce it to allow children to do it as well. Do you believe that's a rocky road to go down? Oh, it's a horrible road. I'm working with young, younger and younger people um, every day. I was working with a 10-year-old yesterday. I worked with a 13-year-old about two weeks ago, a 15-year-old, and they're all detransitioning because they realize that they're only doing it because it's a, it's a social idea. It's a social contagion. None of these kids actually have gender dysphoria. Sorry to report that. They're kids that are doing it because we realize it's uh, socially acceptable. And they feel like uh, they will be sort of woke and smart kids if they're transgender. They'll get more attention. Uh, you know, if you're a child who's not getting much attention, if you identify as a transgender, you'll get all the attention you want. So this encouragement uh, is actually going to ruin their lives. I'm, I'm working with a, a young boy, 19 years old, who went through all the surgeries at 18 after starting on hormones at 15, and he says, I'm nothing but a Frankenstein monster. They ruined my life. What, what, so, do you, what do you think of hormone blockers? Because this is something, of course, that we've seen now in Europe. It started off in America where you've got young kids, 11 and 12 years of age, identifying as the opposite sex, uh, particularly male to female, which seems to be more, certainly more common than female to male. And um, parents saying, OK, straight down to the doctor and on to pu puberty blockers. I mean, some people would say, well, look, it's no harm to, to block puberty. Should I say a little bit younger than that, that, to block puberty? Whereas others will say, no, you don't go down that road because it's irreversible. Is it irreversible or yeah, can, they irreversible. can they do permanent yeah. damage? Yeah, it does permanent damage in many ways. It stunts many parts of the natural growth process. Keep in mind that hormone blockers were not designed or made to help people identify in a different gender. The hormone blockers were designed for people whose puberty was growing at a rapid rate to the point to where it was going to cause them harm. And the hormone blockers were designed to slow their development down. It was this group 
uh, on the left who decided, well, we can use that to numb down people's um, hormones and, and stop them, and then we can introduce uh, cross-gender hormones to them. So these hormone blockers were never, ever, ever intended to be used for that purpose. So they're using them off, uh, off label, it's what they refer to. So uh, this is a reckless use of a drug that was not intended to be used that way. And, you know, uh, somebody's going to be sitting here, you're going to be talking to them 10 or 15 years from now, and, and they're going to be talking about the devastating damage that's been done to children. We're already seeing it. And it's unfortunate that people think this is fun and harmless because it's not either fun or harmless. I mean, the, the, the you, you mentioned the woke community there a few minutes ago. They weren't around, of course, when, when you were transitioning many, many years ago at 42 years of age. But certainly in the last 10 years, absolutely, we have this uh, far left or far left extremists who would kind of suggest that every child should be supported to be whatever they want to be. I mean, in one way, that's a good thing that we're supporting children more so than we ever did before. But in another way, what you're suggesting to me is that we need to be careful how we support them, that if we have the young boy that comes up and says, Daddy, I want to be a girl, that we should not discourage them, I suppose. When I say discourage them, we should certainly try and support them in, as best we can, but not encourage them to change their gender. I think that's exactly right. I think from the consequences, the long-term consequences are seeing more and more people that have been introduced to this at an early age have serious regrets have medical issues, <clears throat> cancers can be uh, caused by this, bone density is really harmed by it. Uh, they will become much more frail in terms of their bone development. Uh, there's several other factors I put into my book that you mentioned, Trans Life Survivors. It's a great book. Mm -hmm. It's got the information in there. In, so, in relation, sorry, just in relation to a new transition back to a man again, because you'd already had the surgery, this is something that's, and I don't want to embarrass you, and if I do, please tell me. But obviously, you transitioning back to a man, can they actually reconstruct a man's penis again? Is that possible after removing it the first time? Yeah, well, they use that. It's called a phalloplasty. A phalloplasty is a procedure they use for the female to male transition. So they just use the same procedure. But let's be honest here for a moment. They are incapable of making a biological phalloplasty. It's a replica. Everything they do is cosmetic in nature uh, it'll never function like a biological one uh, that uh, the biology is ruined and destroyed and people need to understand that okay so uh, when you were a woman for that short period of your life did you have sex no you could you have sex i could i never did i had no desire i have to say it uh, has been very interesting discussion talking to you today and um, I think you've opened a lot of people's eyes, um, certainly in Europe and in particularly, I suppose you will notice in your neighboring Canada, uh, they're promoting this greatly at the moment. And they're even to the point where a father was sent to jail for not identifying his own son as a girl, uh, which I think is a horrific story. I mean, if we've got to that point uh, and we're seeing this more and more on Twitter. Uh, on other social media, people being blocked or banned for not accepting that somebody had changed gender. What's your feeling on that? Well, um, you know, I think it's unfortunate. I'm getting a lot more people from Canada calling me and asking me for help. I even talked to that father at one time before he was put in jail. So uh, many of the people are being harmed in Canada and they're contacting me for help. I'm doing the best I can to help them. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, this idea that we need to jail people or 
or block them from speaking freely about what I know to be true. Listen, I have thousands in my email. I have 9,000 emails in my inbox from people who have been harmed, hurt, or know someone that was harmed or hurt by this. And um, I've only been able to meet personally with a few of them, uh, but that's why I wrote the book Trans Life Survivors and the other books that I've written to help people understand that you know, they don't want you to know the great deal of harm that's being done. And people are much better off if they can identify what the comorbid disorders are that are causing them to feel the way they So in other words, get to the root of the problem rather than exactly. dealing with the symptoms of the problem. That's, and, and that doesn't, I'm not harming people by doing that. Let's, let's just deal with what the real bottom line issues are. Well, listen, I got to thank you very much indeed for joining me this evening. It's been wonderful talking to you, Walt. And uh, hopefully a long, healthy life to you. Thank yeah, you very thank much you. indeed. Thank you for having me.